There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown and here with you alongside Juco James and Alan Morrison as we look back on a Europa Conference League defeat to Bodo Glimp, the Norwegian champions, 3-1 in Celtic Park. A shock result if you look at the, you know, the previews to this, but if you look at the team that Bodo Glimp put out and the manner of which they won this game, I don't think you can take anything away from them and you can definitely not say that they're a poor side. They are a very well-coached side that give Celtic a bit of a schooling in their own ground in the Europa Conference League. James, start with you, I guess. Shock defeat is what this will be called as, but I mean, if you look at the way they played, they're a very good side. I think they're remarkable. <laughs> um, so it just goes to show the the what can be accomplished um, when there's an alignment of uh, player development, recruitment, and you have a talented, um, smart manager slash head coach uh, at the helm. And, um, you know, hopefully we're moving in that direction. We've got one of the key components, <laughs> which is that uh, manager slash coach. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they just really were like a well-oiled machine. And, um you know what I put I put out uh, after the game on Twitter. I mean, it's re- really showed the disparity between because they, you know, for the most part, they play similar to us um, or the way we're supposed to be playing, um, and uh, you know, with some some differences, but um, I'd say in the neighborhood, a, co- a cousin, so to speak, and uh, the disparity in how they were able to play out from the back and the fluidity with which they did that and the athleticism. I thought it was, uh, you know, probably the most stark part of the game. Um, now, I will say, from an analytics perspective, it, it wasn't as bad as it felt. The performance disparity was not anywhere near what the uh, the scoreline um, suggested. Um, I mean, they were deserved winners. I'm not going to try and say that this was like a fluke game. That That's definitely not the case. Um, <clears throat> they outperformed on an XG basis. They took their chances. Um, you know, one of our big chances, their keeper kind of gambled a little bit and came out and, um, made, made a nice play. Um, so, you know, it's, it was, we always say it's these fine margins and, and, um, you know, 
some of our biggest chances were headers, which we always talk about. They can be fairly inconsistent as far as reliability. And it's not as if we have, uh, you know, Abada's not a killer in the air, so to speak. And he, uh, you know, one of the best chances happened to fall to him. Um, Forrest as well. Yeah, Forrest too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I think it, there's probably, and this I've talked about a lot this season is the manic swings that we've been having a little bit as a support. And I think yesterday was probably an example of that where it wasn't as bad as it felt for me included. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just pretty miserable experience watching, watching that game. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I don't think it was as bad and, and as it felt, um, and, um, but I think most of the things that we kind of hoped, I think, or people that had analyzed them going into it, that we had hoped as being potential negatives, i.e. early in their season, in their preseason, some turnover in players, uh, you know, go back to my Jenga tower metaphor. I think it, it, it's uh, supportive of that, meaning that they just plug and play. They, they recruit smart. They have people that come in that are uh, recruited to fit their system. And if someone drops out, you just plug in the next guy and, um, you know, they like I said, they were a well-oiled machine. Yeah, so we'll get into the nitty-gritty of things in just a sec, and we'll get into what Celtic potentially got wrong and what Ange Postacoglia potentially got wrong in this game and what, what went wrong for Celtic. And if you want to get the, the goal breakdowns we're doing with Boys Analytics, they're going to be on our Twitter feed. Uh, the first two are already up, the third is to come as well. So you can check those out uh, if you want more detail and a more visualized, uh, I guess, breakdown of of things that went wrong for this, the goals the Celtic conceded. But Alan, James made a point there about the point in the season that they're at. This was very Celtic-like almost going into the Champions League where they had lost a couple of key players. They're still in preseason. They're play- going into a Euro- European competition in preseason. But this was so far and away in what compared to what Celtic usually go to go into these European competitions. They weren't undercooked. They looked fit. They looked sharp. And I think that Celtic might have been taken aback a little bit by that. I don't think they were expecting a team as fit or as sharp as uh, Bodo Glimp last night. Yeah, I mean, I'd be really disappointed if we were surprised because, again, I don't think they adjust their, t- their style. They, they were very open about the fact they weren't going to adjust the way they played. Um you know, I, I can't say I wasn't worried because, you know, consuming all of the huge amount of social media now there is in terms of people interviewing journalists from Scandinavia, football experts and fans from of the club. And what I took from all of the conversations that I watched and listened to and all the analysis was that they were very confident. There was a, there was a calm confidence now, and I don't know whether Norwegian people in general are very calm. They do come across that way, the ones I've listened to. But they did; they had this calm confidence. And like you said, and uh, um, uh, and James, you know, the, even though they were losing these players, it was like, yeah, but, you know, the kid that's coming in, he, he might be better. <laughs> it, was, it was this kind of thing. It was like, yeah, we sold him for $5 million, but, yeah, this kid could be better. So it was like, you know, like you say, they were just swapping in players very effectively. And and listen, this this was, to me a lesson for the whole football world about the inefficiencies of football. You know, the inefficiency of football in general writ large is in watching this team. Every team in Europe this year should be embarrassed by what this side is achieving because what they're, you know, let me try and put this into context to you. If you'd said to me, Celtic are playing a team from a town that has a population of around about 50,000, 
that plays in a stadium that holds around about 7,000 and has an astro pitch, my mind would have immediately gone back to my hometown team of Falkirk because that exactly describes Falkirk. Exactly, right? That is what we're talking about here. Falkirk are struggling to get into a playoff place in the third tier of Scottish football, um, struggling against part-time teams. That is what we're talking about here. This is what this club have achieved, okay? Now, that, that may serve to embarrass Celtic, but I suggest they're going to embarrass a lot more clubs as well. Um, not, not just Jose Mourinho, who couldn't even be bothered to research the way that they played. Okay, I'm sure Ange, Ange did know how they were going to play, but this is this is what they've achieved, and, and I think they deserve enormous credit. I mean, what a thrilling side! I mean, if you go through their team, you know, the, these are all players that have been kicking about, usually in lower levels of Norwegian football, <laughs> that have been brought together into a coherent uh, system of playing. And it's no wonder they can just swap players in. You know, the, the guy on the left wing, Pellegrino, he's 31. He is the very definition of, of journeyman. But journeyman in the context of kicking about fairly minor teams in Norwegian football. And when I say minor teams, you know, Buda Glimt are relatively large. <laughs> so you know, this, is, this is the sort of player that we're talking about here. The, the captain, Saltness, what a player he was. He's 29 years old. Right, he's been at Buda Glimt virtually this whole career, and that's involved playing in the lower leagues as well, you know. So, so they they've managed to pull together players from from all, all over the place that you that don't are not particularly storied, certainly don't cost a lot of money, and have been able to implement a very consistent, a very uh, you know, definite style of play, and and, and and let's look at the positives. You know, this is what I think Postacoglu is trying to do, albeit at a, at a larger scale. And hopefully with with better players, so we should take some uh, comfort from the fact that this is the direction of travel. So what what I would say is, in terms of, you know, let's not get too depressed about it. And we'll get into the minutia of the game, like you say, but just to sort of finish up on the context of of this club. You know, um, Knudsen, who's their manager, took over in twenty nineteen. He had been the assistant, and they, and they were just they just avoided relegation when he took over. The next season, they finished second. Okay, but in his so season one, but they only won 15 of 30 league games um, and they went out of the cup to a lower league team and they didn't have any European football to distract them. Um, you know, they had some heavy defeats. They lost 6-0 to Valarenga. They lost four goals to Molda. So why am I, why am I mentioning this? Because that was year one of the project. Okay, this is where we are. Okay, where where where, where um, Buda Glimt were in 2019, you know, that's where Celtic are today in terms of the, the Postacogli project. Season two, they won the championship. They won the league by 19 points. They scored 103 goals in 30 matches. And they only went out 3-2 to Milan, AC Milan, in, in their third European match. There was one, one, um, one leg ties because of, uh, because of COVID. And then season three, they won the league again. But they did actually, um, you know, they only won it by three points. Uh, it wasn't the cakewalk that it had been in season two, but um, that but that was that was that was effectively this season, twenty twenty one. They, they play in a calendar year, but remember they'd had fifteen European matches, an unprecedented schedule for this club and for those players, but they still managed to win the league. Uh, you know, in in season three, so they are now into season four of their project under Knudsen, and uh, we are in season one under Postacoglu. So, mm-hmm. you know. 
I, I would leave you. I'd, I'd leave the opening gambit with that uh, with that context. Yeah, for sure. And we don't want to come across as you know apologists or sort of doing down that this is a disappointing result for Celtic because Celtic went into this game as favourites as they should be. But likewise, it should be said that Budaglim played really good. They're a good side, well coached. And just because you may may or may not have heard of them before you went into this game, that doesn't make them a bad side. It just means that you haven't heard of them. Um, Let's move on to Celtic's side of things. I guess the main thing that we're going to start with is the starting 11. There's not much else to mention other than the midfield of Roderick O'Reilly and McGregor. Other than that, uh, it was a fairly straightforward starting 11 from Ange Postacoglu, one that we've seen a lot this season. I mean, on on the very get-go for this game, when you see a midfield of O'Reilly and Rogic or two players like O'Reilly and Rogic, the first thing that you're going to see is the lack of legs or lack of high-intensity pressures or energy, essentially, is what I'm getting at. I'm going to put a hypothesis to both of you, and you can rubbish it or agree with me, whatever way you just want to answer this. But from the very kickoff, Celtic the first thing they did was try and play a ball straight down the middle through the Buddha Glimt defense. They tried to score immediately from the kickoff. So my hypothesis for this game was that Ange Postacoglu played the two of them because he knew that Buddha Glimt were a good side who could threaten them. And the game plan was to score early and control the game by possession manner as opposed to putting them under pressure like the normal Celtic game plan like they've played over the last couple of weeks. So that that's my hypothesis for what Andrew's trying to do. I'm not sure if you agree with that or disagree or what. I think it's plausible and reasonable. Um, I, I just don't get... It, it's not as if Hitate doesn't offer that same kind of um, skill set, right? So I think he's a bit more risky, though. With oh, yeah. his passing, he takes more risks with his passing, therefore, you know, giving up possession. He does. Um, but I, I guess the, the how do you balance all that out is a, is a good question. I, I, so the, the other part of it that didn't make sense to me was why would you displace O'Reilly to the left? Right. So you not not only were you including Rogic, you were then I'm not going to say he was played out of position. He's played on the left side a little bit at MK Dons and preceding that, but he's been predominantly a right-sided player. I mean, I looked at the minutes. I mean, it's, I, I, you know, well over 80% of, of his minutes have been uh, either a, as a number 10 or as a right-sided, um, and most of that being right-sided. Um, and, and he's been thriving in that role with with us. So um, I... I I didn't get it. The, the other part is, um, you know, Rogic, the combination of Rogic and Turnbull in the group stage was part of um, how we conceded, what was it, 16 goals or what it was, 15 goals. Um, and, you know, their underlying metrics were not great in, in those games. Um, so I, I didn't understand it. Um, I'm sure there was a reasonable logic to it, like, you know, like you laid out. Um, I thought maybe Hitate wasn't quite up to fitness levels to 
it le- that's a theory, you know, maybe, maybe the idea was that they didn't think that they could get a, a high intensity uh, hour out of them. I don't know. Um, but for me, it was, you know, I, 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 I actually wrote an article last week. I mean, to me, the clear starting two are Hatate and O'Reilly. Um, and I was surprised when that was not the, the decision. Yeah. I, what really astonished me, though, even having said all that, because I think Rogic has, in in some games, settled into that kind of eight role, and he he, he actually, you know, he's a big guy, he can be quite physical. But what astonished me was that he wasn't even playing in that eight role; he was actually pushed on as a ten. So O'Reilly was kind of wandering around trying to fill gaps. McGregor was doing his best to 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 cover the acres that were left in central midfield, but Rogic was pushed right on, and that first goal where they broke quickly from the left-back position, um, uh, you know, that, that really speedy guy. Um, and Rogic was, Rogic was almost the last man at that point and never got back. He never, he doesn't have the recovery pace and never even got back to, to provide any shield. So, you know, if you're going to play, if, it, it is a case of, you know, if you look at the systems and you, and you compare that to, to where they were in their 4-3-3, as soon as they lost the ball, the three midfielders were back. And it was very, very reminiscent of um, Celtic banging their heads against the wall, you know, when playing against the Rangers the last couple of seasons, where exactly the similar profile players would shuttle back into a very compact four-three-three as soon as they lost the ball. When we lost the ball, it was it was a it, it was like a you know f- scrambling, <laughs> it's like a you know World World War Two attacking the airbase scramble for your planes type of thing. It was just chaos, um, and 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 part of that was because Rogic was pushed pushed. Um, so high up. I mean, to me, if you're going to do the Rogic O'Reilly experiment, do it on Sunday against home to Dundee, right? Because probably the worst that will happen is that Dundee might get more than one XG, <laughs> you know? and we might or we might win four one. You know what I mean? But don't don't try it in a big European game uh, with so much at stake. It was just it was just it was just madness. I mean, it did tighten up when Hatati came on, but it's difficult to tell. If that was the cause, because of game context, I mean, the, right. this is a, this is a frustrating thing, right? They, they they were starting to cramp up after sixty three minutes, which isn't normal, right? They're in preseason, and, and and what an opportunity this this was for Celtic! My God, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that that brings me to hypothesis number two, mm. and that is that uh, Ange thought the starting eleven he put out there was strong enough to at least come in to <laughs> half time or fifty minutes at uh, parity with parity or with a goal up or at least being level with Buda Glimt and then bring Hatate on and a several others when they were cramping to kill the game before the end of it. Again, I don't know if that's what Andrew's trying to do. That's just a potential reason why he may have kept Hatate on the bench. I'm not sure. I, I, I think the only thing you can really say about this is that it didn't work. Well, and it's just, Again, as a as a matter of uh, discussion, um, Y Scout actually had the the shape for Celtic as a four two three one. Um, so now, if you look at the, I looked at, I saw that, I was like, oh, that's interesting, and and um, I looked at the heat maps, and it was oh, the the kind of to Alan's point, the heat maps were very chaotic. <laughs> um, you know, you, you actually had O'Reilly and, and um, Rogic having a lot of that kind of wide possession uh, that we've had in, in the four three three system. 
where they're out near the touchline and they kind of interchange with the wingers and the fullbacks. Um, so there was a good bit of that, uh, but, but, and, and McGregor was all over the place. Right. So that, I, I don't, it, it, to me, it seemed to be um, maybe a hybrid of some sorts or fluidity. I don't know. Uh, Cause as Alan said with that, with the first goal and Rogic being caught so far forward and, and as Ross from boys analytic documented um, in the video that you did with Amanda, I mean, you had, um, O'Reilly coming back in a way, almost like he was a a, a dual six with uh, McGregor because of how how deep he was and how far over he got pulled, um, which you know would be weird relative to a four three three that he would be in that space. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting um, kind of intellectual discussion as far as what what was actually going on. And I, I haven't rewatched the game yet. I probably will just because of how interesting it was um, in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, to appreciate how they played again uh, yeah. in, a, in a, in a masochistic way. Um, so. Well, what the result of it was on a football basis is that there was a giant hole in Celtics midfield when they got stretched that wasn't being filled by the, the midfield because Cal McGregor was being when they were at wide. Cal McGregor was being pulled out wide. Rogic wasn't getting back, and then suddenly there's a whole lot of space, and that's where the the first goal and the third goal comes from. Is that space? Albeit Celtic were playing a basically four four two when the third goal went in, and Atate is just not anywhere near where he should be for that position. But that's a that's a side point. Another issue with this is that again we talk about compounding issues within the side and the sort of domino effect of these different things. And one of the things for the first goal, and I don't want to slaughter any player for anything. Um, but, but you're going to do I'm, it anyway. But I'm going to criticize. <laughs> I'm going to, I think I'm going to fairly criticize uh, Greg Taylor for his performance last night. It just wasn't good enough. He, he was out of position for the first goal. He got done for the, the third, the second goal as well. And he just looked physically just not capable for this level, especially if you look at Wemam Gamo, who was playing left back for them, and that was one of his first games for the club. He just looked like a, a physical, physical specimen who was fast, strong, good positioning, and he's a right back playing at left back. So it, it just looked like Greg Taylor was out of, uh, out of his depth for this level. But I will say this, with Hatati out of the team, if you look at what Hatati has been doing in a defensive manner, for Celtic over the last couple of weeks, he's been cutting out a lot of the play down the left wing and almost protecting Greg Taylor at left back. So if you have Hatati on the pitch for the first half, there is a strong argument. Again, it's just a hypothetical argument that that first goal doesn't happen because Hatati will cut the play out. Yeah. So I think you're right to point out this sort of compounding nature. So yes, there were individual errors. Taylor, Taylor stepping out essentially makes the goal easy for them to score because the decision is made for you. You, you. you pass the ball into the space and you've got a three to one overload on that side. So, you know, and then for the second goal, Juranovic basically just leaves, lets his man run off him um, after Taylor has, uh, like you say, been, been beaten for pace. Um, so th- this, you know, always com- there are compounding factors and, and a lot of the poor positioning by the defence um, stems from having been forced into horrible decisions around where to be positionally because of the lack of cover in midfield, right? So, it, as, as James has said many times, it kind of stacks up and then you get a, a crisis of, of risks that all, all come together. Um, and unless you've got, you get lucky or the other team make 
poor decisions, which they didn't in the final third, in the few times they got there, um, then you're in you're in big trouble. And, and against you know, even better teams than that, as we saw with Betis and Leverkusen, you know you you, you concede a lot of goals, right? Um, I think the athleticism point is one that I've made over and over again with Taylor. Um, if you look at their front six, I'm not even I didn't, I didn't even look at the defenders. Look at their front six players. Every single one, apart from uh, Vettelson, is six foot two. I, I couldn't believe it when I looked it up. Looked them all up. It's all on, on Wikipedia. But yeah, Saltness, six two. Um, uh, the other guy in midfield, Hagen, six two and a half. Uh, the winger, uh, Pellegrino, six three. Uh, the centre forward, six uh, two. Solbakken, six two. The only one that's under that was was Vettelson, who's who, he's only he's only twenty one. Looks a really good player. Um, and, and they're not six two because they're lumping high balls at them. That's not that's not that's not the point, right? There, there was very few aerial duels in the match, right? They're, they're, they're athletic players. They're, you know, they're physically strong and and they're powerful and and they've got a good motors, good engines, and get and good for getting up and down. And if you're going to play four three three, you're going to have three players having to come back and cover that central midfield. That's the sort of profile you're talking about. This is what we you know. We talked about you know Aribo and Camera. You know that's 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 the sort of profile you need uh, to be able to play this four three three system, to be able to break and create overloads, but then to get back quickly. Um, now O'Reilly's six two, and and actually, if you look at if you look at the game yesterday, um, McGregor was involved in twelve duels. He won eight of them, and he he was he led the team actually with sixteen recoveries. I mean McGregor was my Boy, of the match because I mean, just, he just, he just, he did, my God, he did his best <laughs> to try and you know plug the gaps. He was a one bit of a one man midfield. But O'Reilly, again, he was involved in thirteen duels. He only won five of them. He had eight recoveries. But Rogic, Rogic was involved in six duels and only five recoveries. So that effectively it was a two person midfield against three, against three athletic players. So that, that that's your yes, yes. Taylor Taylor was out outran, and yes, Juranovic made a mistake. But if you're not got that protection in front of you, then the system falls down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it does, I guess, if you're looking at the match and you're looking for someone to blame, you can take aim at a couple of individual errors. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a team game. And if you're going to give credit to to the team as a wider team uh, when they win, then you're going to have to look at it at a broader aspect um, when they lose like this. You are listening to the Huddle Breakdown. If you want to get the podcast of this, it'll be available on Spotify and on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast as well. You can follow us or subscribe to the YouTube channel, The Breakdown Inc., and by hitting the bell below and you'll get notified every time a video goes live. And if you want to support the channel, we now have a, a Ko-Fi, I think it's called, Ko-Fi page, where you can uh, donate, you can buy a coffee, you can... Um, subscribe for a monthly payment if you want there's no pressure to do that but all the money will be going back into the the podcast to make it better and make it shinier and make us better looking i think yeah <laughs> hang we'll, on we'll, we'll, we'll try yeah, to do that yeah, let's keep it in the realms of uh, reality here yeah yeah no. There's, there's no, way, no, there's no way there's no way we're making james better looking that's just not gonna happen no. there's not enough money on the planet earth for that <laughs> the uh, the link for that is in the uh, comments below if you want to get involved in that but there's no pressure as well if you want to because the content will still remain free regardless i want to talk about something that can possibly get into the realms of hypotheticals again but i'm hoping you might have some um numbers to back this up on i i get i I spoke about the 
idea that Ange potentially had for this game or the game plan that they had. And then there, you have that famous saying, um, everyone has a good game plan until they get punched in the face. Is that something that you think happened here for Celtic last night against Budaglimp? Did they go out thinking they were going to you know, potentially control the early parts of the game and then suddenly get punched in the face with that first goal and then panic a little bit? Because it seemed like this was a much sloppier performance in terms of the passing, uh, the movement. Everything just seemed to be a little bit, not guesswork, but they were second guessing the, the pass and the touch wasn't exactly as sharp as it's been. And the dribbles might where Jota might have gone past his man, he didn't go past them and same with Abada on the other side. Acknowledging the fact that Buda Glimt are a well-coached side that had a game plan to counteract what Celtic were doing, I do think this was a sloppy performance as well as just being uh, one where Celtic didn't have the right game plan. So absolutely 100% spot on, right? So so having said all we've said, what, to be fair to the manager, he couldn't have expected was us to be so wasteful in the final third. I mean, it was just incredible. Uh, you know, you, you don't expect... Yota, Abada, Rogic, you know, all to have such poor games all at the same time. If you and 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 actually, some some lesser known stats are quite useful here in terms of illustrating how wasteful Celtic were in the final third compared to how efficient and effective uh, Buda Glimt were. Um, we, so I, 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 I track something called final third losses. Now, what that means is, effectively, you you get into the final third. And you lose possession without without winning a corner, having a shot at goal. Yeah, that's essentially what it is. Very simple, right? So given that Celtic had 15 shots, we had 72 final third losses. So you know, even though we won, I think it was like 14 corners to the 10 corners to nil or something like that, and 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 16 shots to seven, we had 72 final third losses. They had 13. Right, only 13 times did they lose the ball in the final third without creating something. Um, and, and, and it wasn't as if we didn't put them under some pressure. 16 times they gave the ball away in their own defensive third. 16 times. We only gave the ball away in our, our own third twice, right? <laughs> okay. Um, crosses. So the, the t- for me, the tell that Celtic have lost all confidence is when we start banging the ball into the box. And, and we can do it again. It's a growing list. Every time Celtic get a bad result, a, a draw in the SPFL or a defeat, um, we can trot out this little chart that shows these are the top five games or top six games with the most crosses attempted and they correlate to the worst performances. 34 failed crosses yesterday. Uh, they only failed with five crosses, 34 to five. Yeah. So you think about all that, you think about the number of wasteful moments Celtic had in their fi- in their final third. And then you look at the fact that, you know, possession of the ball in the box was 20 to us, 13 to them. Pretty even. Uh, danger zone passes, so passes that connect with somebody in front of goal. Five to us, four to them. They just edged expected goals. We were 0.96. They were 1.12. Those three things tell you it was very close. All these other metrics tell you Celtic had a huge amount of possession in promising areas and gave it away over and over and over again with nothing to show for it. And, and that is the bit that will frustrate the manager. He did get it wrong the way he set the team up. I think um, they, they were allowed, especially with the early goal, to pretty much play. If, the man, if their manager had dreamt in his head, how do I want this game to go? He got everything that he wanted, pretty much. 
mm. played out for her. Um, but having said all that, because, but it was it was compounded by the extreme wastefulness of Celtic in the final third. And I, I, Jota's performance is inexplicable to me, absolutely inexplicable to me. Given I've, I've had him as my boy, the match on like countless occasions this season, he's been super uh, consistent. Uh, he, he was he was awful last night, and and that's very very rare. But I'm not going to pin it all on him. Abada wasn't much better. Rogic was terrible. O'Reilly was okay. <laughs> you know, when it was normally he's, he's excellent. So you know, the, the attacking players, just just the creative players, were just so 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 wasteful. Taylor did nothing in the final third, absolutely nothing. Uh, and Juranovic was probably the pick of the creative players because at least he created a goal. And put in three danger zone passes, um, so he gets a pass creatively, but he's the right back. Mm. Yeah, because Steve Wiss, the guy from the Nordic <laughs> Football Podcast that I spoke to before the game, said that you know he doesn't expect Celtic to have much pleasure going down the left hand side. And there's a couple of comments underneath saying this guy's obviously never met Jota, but I mean, he was he turned out to be right, and on that occasion, James did did Glimt show a template of how to defend against Celtic because what they did was essentially they stepped back and said to Jota and Abada, all right, dribble past me, you know, take it past me and get the ball in. And we spoke about this actually, I think it was last week that that's actually Abada's weakest point is trying to go past someone. Uh, That's not what he's strong at. That's not what he's good at. And that's what Glimp forced them into. Yeah, I, I I joked um, after the um, derby that uh, Rangers had had a Frankenstein tactics um, set up, um, and I think Glimpt basically did the opposite, right? So uh, Rangers set up in a way that I thought was um, uh, I'll joke that you know the George Costanza, the exact opposite of what you would what you would think you would do if you were going to look at the relative strengths and weaknesses of Celtic. Um, so it talked about how incoherent it was uh, to draw out kind of the worst elements of a, a Livingston, Gerard, uh, McInnes kind of performance. And Glimp did the exact opposite of that. So they, they pressed selectively, but effectively, and they slowed down our buildup play, which, you know, again, any, any, any team of a decent level of coaching and athleticism has given us fits in that regard. Um, they man marked McGregor uh, to try and make that more difficult and basically let Hart, CCV, and Starfelt try to do something, which for the most part they they didn't. So the the, the buildup was relatively slow, which allowed them to get back into that narrow four three three, a la Gerard's um, setup with with Rangers, and then they did you know, kind of have that sliver of Livingston, which is when we were um, in control in that final third, they were very disciplined uh, in protecting their box. I mean, uh, Y Scout tracks penalty uh, box or penalty area entries, and they had us with 56. Okay. That we had 51 against St. Mirren in the six nil when they were a man down after 20 minutes. Okay. So we were bombarding their box so this is a, it was that, as Alan said, um, the other two games that are comparable were actually against Dundee United. Again, a team that was more open and allowing us room to move. So this is where I go back to, we, we don't face 
domestic competition that blends these different components of competence, <laughs> athleticism, uh, and being well coached. And, and so th these are, you know, they came in with a game plan to capitalize, I thought, on what has been to me glaring issues with our team that other teams just haven't, for whatever reason, been targeting with any kind of um, uh, proficiency. And, and they kind of, kind of, you know, they came in with, you know, the main points that I would, like if I was doing opposition research and say, okay, where are they weak? How could I capitalize on it? You know, as we talked about, I mean, the, two of the big headers were Abada and James Forrest. I mean, on what planet are they guys that you want to be taking, you know, a large number of, of, um, of aerial crosses? Um, so, again, you just kind of tip your cap to them. And um, some of the things we've talked about, I mean, it's, it's structural. I mean, I just I don't think Hart, CCV, and Starfelt – are going to miraculously turn into ball playing center halves and or a sweeper keeper, um, and the this, the disparity with how their center backs and keeper played during the game versus ours. I mean, it's it's night and day. Um, but as Alan said, that's the potential, which is if if we have the resources to allocate to those kinds of players that do offer those kinds of skills. Um, but those, uh, just sorry, just sorry, James. Just on Carter Vickers, I, I would disagree slightly. I, you know, I know people are going to remember the three or four passes that he misplaced, especially in the second half. But he completed twenty pack passes, like the highest pack passing score. And actually, in the second half, he was pinging it out to Forrest. He was pinging it in field. You know, he he did actually, especially in the second half, he he really did. Him and McGregor were trying their best as sort of leaders in the team to really push the team forward. So I would kind of excuse him in, in terms of that. I don't, Starfield, I don't think, has got the range that he has got, absolutely. Yeah, and I, again, as I've, I've said on prior shows, I mean, I, I'm kind of um, in coin flip territory on uh, Carter Vickers, meaning that I think if he was paired with someone who's more dynamic in that regard, I think he's uh, would be suitable. Um, but, you know, it, it, it it's... Um, you don't necessarily need two of them, though. I mean, if you look at their centre-backs, you had, um, I think it was uh, Hoy, Hoy Bratton. Hoy Bratton was the one on the left. He was the passer. Uh, he, he he actually pinged well, That's what I'm saying, right? But the other guy, Mo, he, he, he rarely, he rarely uh, looked to, to be expansive. Yeah, so and that's, that, you know, that, yeah. that's you the point. You don't need to have both of them. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, so I think I think Carter Vickers is good enough and competent enough that if he was paired with one that's slinging the you know the forty yard balls around and breaking lines in a really proficient way, um, then yeah, I, I I think he's got that upside. Um, but to put him next to Starfelt with Hart behind him, you know, it, he's he's got to be that playmaker, and I I he, he's okay, but I'm not sure he's the guy that you that he's going to shred the opposition. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, ideally what you'd uh, be able to have in this kind of system. Mm. You mentioned Livingston. The Tony Macaroni Arena is obviously a place that Celtic struggle to go to. It's common. Buddha Glimt, <laughs> Glimt play in the Arctic Circle in a ground, like Alan said, that has a plastic pitch. What are we thinking for the second leg now? Because... I guess one thing that you can you can't accuse um, Ange of doing rather is not learning from certain mistakes that he's made throughout the year and trying to come up with a solution of with it. Um, 
what changes are you making? What do you think Celtic are going to do? And ultimately, do you think Celtic are going to get through to the next round here? Yeah, so it's, you know, a two-goal lead. There's no, no away goals, so we can forget about that because of complication, right? So it's, there was one, one, one glimmer that came out of last night, which is their goalkeeper got booked and he's going to miss the game. And he looked absolutely superb in terms oh, of. If you that's want a good a pickup, to, Alan. I didn't know that. Yeah. If, if you want to, if you want to have a goalkeeper to play that system, because I looked, at, I remember was, I saw him in the tunnel. And I thought you're really short because you're even shorter than Starfelt, so you must be tiny. And I thought, mm, I bet you're really good, aren't you? Because you wouldn't <laughs> get away with that. You wouldn't get away with that goalkeeper being that small unless you had lots of other redeeming features. And and you know, and as we saw, his anticipation. His speed at coming out and picking up through balls because Celtic were trying quite a lot of quick, quick aggressive balls through the middle because their centre backs weren't the quickest. Um, his his agility in general, um, the fact that, I mean that that chance in the first half where Maeda turned the defender and the goalkeeper can come out and committed himself, I, I thought that was a goal. But but the, but he's so agile, the keeper that he managed to get across, and he made it look like a routine save. But it's only because he's so small and agile that he was able to do that. And then his distribution was fantastic, right? So it may well be they have yet another person who can just clonely clo- they can clone and fit into that position. But this guy is like a he's in the Russian national squad, so I suspect their backup goalkeeper may not be as good as this guy. So that's a little glimmer of hope. The other thing is, you know, we all know that a two-goal lead is is really edgy, right? If you can, if you happen to concede that first goal, and it's only one goal in it, suddenly it seems like a really tense game. So we've got to hope we can we can um, we can get that first goal. I think in terms of changes, um, I would I would have scales in for Taylor and I'd have Hatati in for Rogic, um, and, I, and I'd play a proper four-three-three and match them up because I still think we've got the better players if we can. If we can just be more coherent and and uh, better in, better in defending transitions, um, and if we put if we can get one goal and get a goal up, I think it's it's game on. Calm down, and uh, I, I saw your eyes light up when he <laughs> said that. The uh, the age old a two nil uh, two nil lead is more dangerous than a one nil lead, which I cannot get behind at all. I just think it's the most nonsensical uh, cliche in, in football. Uh, well, James, no, no, it's, it's, no, sorry, sorry. Just, no, I know, I know, I know what you mean. It's a serious point. If you're back to one, if you're back to one, if you're back to you one up, you go back to one one. You know you've got to go and win no. the game. But if you're suddenly yeah, no, only I, one goal ahead and you were two, you're thinking, do we defend? Do we get another one? You, yeah, you're kind of caught yeah, in this. You're kind of caught in this kind of confusion in your head. This is a different two 0 lead to a two 0 lead in a game. You know when a, you go two 0 up and a, a commentator or a co commentator will say, "Well, a two 0 lead's almost more dangerous than a one 0 lead." In a in a sec, in a two legged game, it's it it makes sense, but in a yeah. in a one legged game, it does. Uh, that's that's where I'll clarify. Yeah. Uh, James, uh, we got a comment in just before we finish up. A comment in before the show from Thomas Hanlon who said, uh, "Hello guys, for your discussion on your review." And a fantasist who was found out by a superior coach. We've been so desperate for it to work that we've deluded ourselves. Sack him now and go out all we go all out to get the glimp coach. Agree? No, I. You know, again, <laughs> I, this is what I talk about with manic swings, um, and you know, uh, the the diversity of opinions is always uh, p- part of what makes being a, a supporter and a fan uh, so interesting. Yeah. I, I don't agree with that at all. Um, I, again, the guy at Bodo Glimpse seems to be legit, right? So he seems to potentially be cut from the same cloth as as Ange, um, meaning that I've talked about 
you know, generally speaking, think of it as almost like a bell curve. The vast majority of managers really don't matter that much. Uh, they don't really do much to change performance levels um, for the team. Most of that's driven by other factors, recruitment. And, you know, when I say manager, meaning, you know, what, what they actually, the decisions they make as far as um, selection and shape and that kind of stuff is, is most managers don't make that much of a difference. And there's some that are so horribly bad that they screw things up. And then you have a relatively small number that do really make a difference. And, and I've been saying really since the summer that I think there's reason to believe that Ange is one of those. Their guy seems to be one potentially as well. Um, I don't see any logic in changing one for the other. Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to get that in there because it, it shows you the um, sort of the leaps that some people can take after one defeat. And that's what we're here for, to try sort of talk people down from the ledge. It wasn't as bad as we might have thought. Hopefully it'll be better in the second leg. Dundee up this weekend. So, you know, if there's ever a bounce back game, it's a bounce back game against Dundee who have sacked their manager only to appoint a manager who has a six game touchline ban. So the cinch remains undefeated in that aspect. I tell you what, whoever is running Dundee is someone that we should look to help Celtic strategically and directionally. I mean, they're just so well run and making so many smart decisions. There's got to be some geniuses there helping with that direction. Yeah, exactly. Anything you just want to bring up before we finish up? I think for me, so a couple of things. Um, one thing that worries me, I suppose, uh, to start with, which is if you wanted to define what a what a weak mentality would look like in a European tie, it would be concede an early goal, concede just after half time when you're actually on top of the game concede just after scoring and, and and completely abandon your philosophy and give up all responsibility by banging useless crosses into the box. All of those things scream weak mentality to me. And that's something we're going to have to be, you know, potentially open and honest about and, and address for Postacoglu as he goes, as he goes forward. Um, Paul Brennan wrote in Celtic quick news today, the truth is always welcome. And that's very much, that resonates very much with me. If, if if there are things that we don't like, things that we worry us, we should be prepared to speak about them. And it's only through that that we can move forward. So I hope there's a little bit of truth in moving forward with Celtic on some of these things because I know it's only one game and some, some games, we've all seen it before, can, everything can go against you, as, as seemed to be the case last night. But, the, but you know, we've seen this story before with Celtic in Europe. And, and you know, this is a slightly different group of players but I, I, I just say, I just hope, I hope we learn, and 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 if we don't make, even if we go out next week, which we probably will, um, based on all of the you know contextual factors around that game, location and and so forth, um, and, and and physical factors, um, it, as long as we don't make the same mistakes and we can see demonstrable improvement, then I'm I'm, I'm 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 I'll take that at this stage. Yeah, yeah I'll I'll say. Um... You know, back to Alan's uh, very smart analog as far as Glimpse first season being some growing pains when, when under this manager. Uh, there's some parallels that with us in Europe this season, more so than domestically. And the one wild card that had basically kept us from, you know, more embarrassment, let's say, was Joe Hart, meaning that. You know, that game yesterday was basically very similar to Alkmaar away 
in the sense of how much they've kind of just knifed through us. And in that game at, at Alkmaar, he was able to come up with two or three really big saves. Um, he wasn't able to do that yesterday, uh, which again, I'm not being critical. It's just, you know, those were pretty good finishes. Um, one was a deflection that caught him kind of flat footed, which is again, understandable. Um, I think we're going to need him to uh, come up with a big game and come up with some big saves uh, for us to be able to to do that. And quite frankly, probably uh, next time we're at Ibrooks, I, I would be surprised if they were, as, as I said, after we reviewed that game, the, dar- the last derby, that they're going to be as putrid um, as as they were in that game. So uh, let's hope, as we said, long may it continue. But um, I, I don't think we should count on that. So we, we need Joe Hart to really come up big here, I think, uh, against these European-level uh, opponents because I, I don't think some of these structural issues are, as we've talked about really all season are, are going to go away at that level. Yeah. Well, the positives is that Celtic did come through that Alkmaar game eventually after playing pretty poor. So if you take that into the second leg, it's not impossible that Celtic will go through in this. So hopefully we'll wait and see <clears throat> all we can hope for. Again, I'm, I'm in Alan's boat is a much better performance and fight back to show that they want to, belong at this level in football rather than just you know winning domestically because domestic football is great and it's fine and it's lovely to win them but you have to test yourself against the best and when you're Celtic that have a historic history in Europe you want to uh, compete at European level as well so that's where we'll leave you off for the huddle breakdown for this week hopefully we'll have a better game to discuss and analyze next week if you want to get this podcast it's on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and you can subscribe to the YouTube channel as well if you want to get notified for more videos. Check out the Boys Analytics uh, videos that we're sharing on our Twitter feed as well if you want to check out a visualized version of what went wrong for those uh, three goals the Celtic considered against Buda Glimt. James Allen, thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Have Thank a good you. weekend. Thanks so much. All right, folks. We'll chat to you later. Good luck. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.